Welcome to the Hello Someday podcast, the podcast for busy women who are ready to drink less and live more. I'm Casey McGuire-Davidson, ex-red wine girl turned life coach, helping women create lives they love without alcohol. But it wasn't that long ago that I was anxious, overwhelmed, and drinking a bottle of wine a night to unwind. I thought that wine was the glue holding my life together, helping me cope with my kids, my stressful job, and my busy life. I didn't realize that my love affair with drinking was making me more anxious and less able to manage my responsibilities. In this podcast, my goal is to teach you the tried and true secrets of creating and living a life you don't want to escape from. Each week, I'll bring you tools, lessons, and conversations to help you drink less and live more. I'll teach you how to navigate our drinking-obsessed culture without a buzz, how to sit with your emotions when you're lonely or angry, frustrated or overwhelmed, how to self-soothe without a drink, and how to turn the decision to stop drinking from your worst-case scenario to the best decision of your life. I am so glad you're here. Now let's get started. Hey there. I've got some big news for you that I have been not so patiently waiting to tell you about. After six months away, my super popular, completely free masterclass is back and it's better than ever. I've been working on it for months. So if you have been struggling to get sober momentum, please go to hellosomedaycoaching.com forward slash class. You can sign up for my free training, Five Secrets to Taking a Break from Drinking, even if you've tried and failed in the past. In this 60-minute masterclass, I am going to share with you all the things you need to stop doing because they're setting you up for self-sabotage and what you need to start doing instead. I am giving you the steps and the mindset shifts that I go through every day with my private coaching clients, and it is completely free. So if you are sober curious, if you've been thinking about taking a break from alcohol, this class is going to set you up for success. I promise you it is worth your time. So hit pause on this episode, go to hellosomedaycoaching.com forward slash class and save your seat. Hi there. Today we're talking about how ambitious women can have it all without doing it all. My guest is Melissa Leon. We actually met at a podcast conference in Las Vegas. We're both podcasters and uh, we were sitting next to each other. I mentioned that my podcast is for sober, curious women who are high achieving, are often working moms, are women who are highly successful, but also sort of doing all the things and drinking to numb out or quiet down all the things. And Melissa leaned over to me. We started talking. She actually quit drinking three and a half years ago. We had a ton in common. And so I wanted to have her on the show. Melissa is a 20-year finance and accounting professional. She's passionate about teaching women to manage time and money. She co-owns Two Cents Consulting, which is a bookkeeping and fractional CFO firm, and is the podcast host and author of the number one bestseller, Efficiency Bitch, 
how ambitious women can have it all without doing it all. Melissa has climbed the corporate ladder while raising three small children and uses B-I-T-C-H to teach the five pillars of having it all without doing it all. So Melissa, welcome. Thank you. Hi, I'm so happy to see you again. Yeah, I'm happy for you to be here. I know this is a topic that so many women who listen to this podcast deal with. And I read your book and and loved how it was described as efficiency bitches for any woman feeling the pressure and asking herself, can I have a happy, fulfilling life with kids, family, and amazing career? And I know so many women are trying to do that and yet are feeling stressed out and burned out and kind of settling for less than they deserve. Yeah. And that was me. I mean, boy, was it ever me. (laughs) Well, so tell us about you. Yeah, I well, okay. I I live in Arizona, uh, born and raised here. I've lived all over the country, but eventually migrated back home. I have three small kids who today are eight, 10 and 12 built a big business, climbed the corporate ladder, wrote a book, had a podcast. I mean, I do I do all the things I love, love, love to be busy. Definitely a high achiever. Uh, It's definitely in my blood, you know, to, to be busy. And once upon a time, uh, before I wrote the book and and kind of before I had my epiphany, I was doing even more. And I was, I was doing the things that I thought I needed to do, not the things that I actually wanted to do. And some examples of that were I was PTO president of my of my kid's school. I was kindergarten room mom. I was Girl Scout troop leader, like all at the same time. While I had a corporate career that was forcing me to travel 200,000 airline miles a year, pregnant with two toddlers. Then I had an infant who I was pumping on airport bathroom floors for. I mean, I got real good at making you feel bad for how busy I was. And I <laughs> I felt really bad for me too, but I kept piling it on. There was like this invisible audience saying, oh yeah, now can you spin that on your toe, you know, while doing jumping? Like, and I was taking it all on. If you saw me, if you knew me during that time, you probably had no idea what was going on inside, but I was miserable, awful. I was drinking a lot. I was taking antidepressants. I was hanging out with the wrong people. My marriage was suffering. My health was suffering. I had migraines constantly, like all the things that if you hear me say it, it's like, duh, you were doing too much. But at the time it didn't. And you were probably so. <laughs> doing all that with a smile while drinking too much, while being miserable. And everyone was like, yeah, she's so happy and competent and all the things. Yeah. She's such a badass, right? She's look at all the things she's doing. Yeah, I certainly was. And I, I wore that busy with, with pride and, and I thought it was good. And look, I'm still super busy. Like, don't get me wrong. I can still rattle off my to-do list and make it sound intense, but I'm doing the right things now. And I'm more importantly, not doing the wrong things. Now I get help when I need it. I take breaks when I need it. I I figured out a lot of things about who I am and who I'm, who I want to be versus trying to be what that invisible audience was telling me I needed to do. And it it was really powerful. And I, I get on soapboxes about it quite often because I if I could have heard my story 10 years ago, things may have turned out a little bit differently. So I have to ask you, when you were doing all that, 
Were you worried about your drinking? Did you feel like it contributed to that? Or or at the time, were you like, no, this is helping me or this is my reward for doing all of this? It's such a good question. I was not an everyday drinker, but if I drank, I drank a lot. And at the time, I would tell you, I don't drink that much. It's not that big of a deal. But I, I was getting drunk at least three times a week, sometimes four. And then the hangover and the stuff that came with it. I certainly felt alcohol was helping me. It was getting me very social. I, was, I had a lot of friends. I had all this like mommy juice culture. Like, you know, we're going to have a play date with the kids and the moms get sloshed. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah. this is the way it was That's for us, thing. right? Yeah. So it felt good. It felt like these are my people. I found my village. Like, this is awesome but it was not awesome. And it, it turned out to be pretty ugly. And I'm really glad now that my kids don't remember me that way. So when you stopped, your kids were like sort of four and a half and six and a half. And is that yeah. right? Yeah, that's exactly right. So the last time I had a drink was in December of 2020. Um, and so they weren't quite in kindergarten and second and fourth grade yet. Okay. They were still pretty yeah. little. Um, they're still little, but they don't remember me that way. And I don't like, I don't judge alcohol as, as the thing that hurt me. I don't, that's not my message. My message is I didn't realize it was hurting me until I, until I did. And a lot of that just kind of came through clarity and it was the domino that started the whole thing in motion. It helped me figure out that I wanted to be a business owner It helped me figure out that I wanted to write a book. And it being sobriety, yeah. um, helping me get there. So it's it's been a cool journey. And I will gladly tell my sobriety story anytime because it changed my life. Yeah. I mean, I feel the exact same way. And yet I fought against the idea of stopping drinking for a very long time. And you might have too, if you were hanging out in the mommy wine culture, you told me that you started in sobriety with a dry January. Is that right? That's absolutely right. Yeah. It was November, December of 2019. And everything I touched was like, try dry January. Okay. Like, why does this keep coming up? I mean, a podcast I listened to, I was reading Brene Brown's book at the time, and she was talking about how she quit drinking. And then I opened a women's health magazine and the the centerfold cover piece of it was mocktails for dry January. And it was like, okay, universe, I hear you. <laughs> I, I love try. that that is happening. I think five years ago, seven years ago, 10 years ago, that was not a thing. Mm -hmm. And this last dry, dry January, I think 35% of American adults participated in it in some way or another. So yeah. I just think that the fact it's in magazines and, and people are talking about is so awesome. Yeah, I do too. And it, I thought no way I can do this, right? Like there's no way I can, I can do dry January. I will screw it up. It will be embarrassing. I told my husband I was going to do it and he was like, okay, <laughs> good luck, Melissa. Like, well, we'll see how that goes. And I messed up. I like January 22nd, I got, I went on an international trip for work and I drank a lot and I woke up the next morning and I thought, I'm never doing that again. It just, it took three weeks. I screwed it up. And then 
that one time I realized, wow, that was really dumb. So I, it just didn't, all of a sudden the light bulb went on that that didn't feel good anymore. And do you think part of that was you had those three weeks? So you were like, oh, it doesn't have to feel this way. Yeah, I really do. The The light bulb turned on in that three weeks. I started feeling better. My skin cleared up. Um, I, my headaches were going away. You know, I tricked myself to thinking that my stomach issues and my headaches were a symptom of stress, but really I was hungover. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I tricked myself into thinking that was the thing. And I have not had any alcohol since. And I, I tell everybody that I quit drinking in December of 2020. And and really, the last time I had any alcohol was January 22nd of 2020. But it's it, that one blip was something that caught my attention. And I know so many people who are like, I tried dry January and I messed up. And so then I gave up. And I thought, wow, it just didn't happen that way for me. You know, and I think this the story for everyone is so different. Your relationship with alcohol for everybody is different. How it impacts your family can be different for some people. I know some people who've told me they've tried to quit and their spouse didn't and their spouse kind of shamed them into continuing. I'm in a position now where my husband still drinks and I get frustrated now that he drinks. So it's not that he shames me into drinking. I'm like shaming him and not I want him to not drink. And everybody, you know, gets their own their own choice or their own scripts to life, I suppose. And we all do this in different times and different phases. Yeah. Did you, so what was your, did you get any support, read any books, podcasts, anything like that when you were going through the process of sort of breaking up with alcohol? Yeah, This Naked Mind got me. I read it in the beginning of January of that year. And I think I was either just finishing it or almost finished with it when the January 22nd issue happened. And I think that was a big part of me going, oh, I don't want to actually do this again. Because then you had the information of yeah. you know, how true is this that I believe about alcohol. And yeah, it really did make a big, a big impact on me. And other than that, I didn't have any help. I discovered non-alcoholic beer was a huge help for me. Uh, I like beer. I always have. And having the ability to have a beer, Annie Grace's book taught me that, right? Like that endorphin rush that you get when you order your drink is really what you're after. It's, and that still happened when I ordered my NA beer. I still got that hit of, oh, this feels good. I'm going to get to relax. And I felt my body relax in the same exact way as I thought the alcohol was doing. But really, yeah. it was just that dopamine. It's, it was so cool and it was so real. Then I realized that was it. And so people still will say to me, well, like, why do you drink half a dozen NA beers? Well, A, because I like it. And B, because every beer is the first beer. Every <laughs> beer feels good like that. It's not like you numb out the way that you would if you'd had your sixth beer. I love non-alcoholic beer too. Like I'm a huge fan. And some people, you know, think that it's it's not helpful or it's triggering. I think everybody is, you know, if it if it makes you want to drink alcohol, you shouldn't do it. But I believe mm -hmm. it's the substance itself that's mm -hmm. obviously addictive and hits your brain and your bloodstream. It's not the taste. And so, um, you know, we have emotional reactions, like you said, to the idea of I'm going to sit around a fire pit and have a beer. And 
I love doing that with something that's totally non-alcoholic. So mm-hmm. I, I know for a lot of women in sobriety, whether it's non-alcoholic cocktails, you know, zero proof cocktails or non-alcoholic beer or even non-alcoholic Prosecco or bubbly rosé or whatever it is, they're such good stuff. It's actually, that's what, that's what helps them. And I, you know, none of the good stuff was around when I quit drinking seven years ago. We had really crap selection. So I didn't start with non-alcoholic options. I was like, no, I'm not drinking O'Doul's. You got to be kidding me. <laughs> but, um, you know, I started with lots of sparkling water and ginger yeah. beer and ginger ale and all that good stuff. But now I just think it's incredible. Yeah, it's great. And it's it's nice how available it is, really. I, I was at a convention last week and uh, I went to the, my husband went to the bar and he was like, what do you want to drink? And I was like, oh, whatever they have, I suppose, you know. And they had NA beer. And I was so excited that this giant convention had something available that wasn't just beer, wine, or water. But moving back to ambitious women, you talk about how, you know, sort of sobriety was the first step in kind of getting out of that rut of trying to do it all and sort of ending up miserable, right? Because, I mean, I don't know how the hell you worked full time, had three kids, and was a PTA president, much less Girl Scouts or anything else. I mean, that to me sounds like a total nightmare. But you talk about how to help women stop wasting time and money and her amazing potential. So how do you do that? Yeah, I think for me, I had to really distill it down to what was important to me. I thought, why am I doing this? Why am I doing something that I think I'm supposed to do, even though it feels awful for me inside, right? Um, and so that was kind of one of the first things that came up was, why am I spending my time doing something that the invisible audience is telling me to do? I have enough on my plate. I don't need to do... And and when I say the invisible audience, it was that that pressure. I don't know where it came from. It wasn't a single source. It was social media and TV and books and magazines and history and all those things that said a good mom is super involved with her kids. A good mom is leading the charge for playdates. A good mom is breastfeeding till they're 17. I mean, a good mom is doing all that crap. And that's what I was trying to convince myself that I had to do. But I loved my job. I loved it. And I was really good at it. And I never wanted to be a stay-at-home mom. It wasn't something that was on my heart to ever be. And so I was like, oh, work-life balance? Like, I got this. And so I would work like crazy. And then I would like fill up my plate to match that at home. So I was like balanced, right? And it just, it was all ridiculous. And I, once I started realizing that I could back out, I did. And I'll tell you today, my kids are super involved in a lot of things. Like they do piano and basketball and volleyball and like art classes and they do stuff. I just don't do it too. (laughs) I will sign them up for the course and I will take them there and go. And like little secret of mine, I haven't brought snack to a softball game or a volleyball game in two years because Mm -hmm. everybody else seems to run to volunteer for that shit. And I don't anymore. It took me a long time to figure it out. And I, what I've realized is that I can contribute to, co- to community and to society in a way that is a 
appropriate and aligned with who I am. And I do that today. I'm on the board at Planned Parenthood Arizona, a really important thing to my heart. It's not right for everybody and that's okay. But like, that's how I feel I can give back to the world. I don't hold all my talent in and not give it to anybody, but my talent is not well spent with little kids. (laughs) It's just not. So that was like one of the big things for me was where am I spending my time and how do I want to give it back? And then I learned the concept of Ikigai, which um, was taught to me as the secret of happiness. It's a Japanese concept that if you imagine four circles kind of overlapping each other a bit, the first one being what you're good at, the next one being what the world needs, the next one being what you can get paid for, and the final one being what you can get paid for, what you're good at, what you enjoy. And it's the cross-section of those four. So it's that thing that lights you up. You're good at it. You can get paid for it. The world needs it and you enjoy doing it, right? Mm -hmm. You're good at it. That was what that cross-section was. And when I started thinking about that, it's my mentorship. It's the lessons I've learned. And that's where Efficiency Bitch was born. I thought, I have something to say. I have something to tell 25, 35, 40-year-old women who haven't learned this lesson yet. I have something to teach them. And that's when my podcast was born. And so through the podcast, I even uncovered more of of really my secret sauce and my methodology. And then I wrote a book about it. And it just has been an incredible journey. And I'm not a coach. Like it's not something that I sell my my EB-ness. It's a podcast and it's a book. And that's about the extent of it. Um, I do have a business where I'm a fractional CFO to small business owners, but I enjoy getting up on stage and talking about my personal story, getting on podcasts and talking about my personal story. I want other women to feel as good as I feel right now. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. I don't know about you, but I cannot believe how fast this year is flying by. We're all busy, but one of the most important things you can do to make sure you're on the right path is to carve out some time to celebrate your victories and to notice what you've wanted to change but haven't been able to yet. Whether you're navigating sobriety, setting boundaries, or striving to be the best version of yourself, therapy can be a game changer. Therapy is for anyone looking for growth and support. And if you're considering it, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's convenient, it's flexible, and it's entirely online. So take a moment for yourself and visit betterhelp.com forward slash someday to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash someday. When I was drinking, I used alcohol to calm my mind, to relieve anxiety and to sleep well at the end of a busy day. I didn't know that alcohol actually spiked my stress hormone, increased anxiety, and as little as one glass of wine a night reduced my sleep quality by 24%. I was really excited to find Tanasi, a better way to find calm, rest, relief, and to reduce inflammation. 
Tanasi creates the highest quality, scientifically validated CBD and hemp extract products. Tanasi's formula includes a unique combination of CBD and CBDA in every dose, which is two times more effective than just CBD alone. So if you want to create a sense of calm, to calm your mind, to relax before bed for a great night of sleep, try Tanasi. Tanasi's being really generous with our listeners. You can go to Tanasi.com and use code HELLO to get 25% off at checkout right now. That's T-A-N-A-S-I.com to get 25% off your first order with the promo code HELLO and get ready to sleep well. Yeah, yeah. And so question for you, when I hear the word efficient, in my, I mean, I always prided myself on being able to multitask and be efficient and be productive. Like that was kind of how I justified my worth and got positive feedback. But if you do that constantly, do you ever get to relax? Like is being efficient is the goal to then have time to be content and enjoy life? Or how do you see that? Yeah, I love that. So for me, and there's, you can find a million different people's versions of efficiency. For me, productivity is doing all the things and efficiency is doing the right things. You keep the stuff you love and you outsource the crap you hate, right? And that is the key message I think, I think is don't try to do it all by yourself because you'll, you'll go nuts and you'll numb out. (laughs) If it's not with alcohol, it'll be with something else. I mean, I remember my husband saying to, to me at some point when I was coming home and, you know, unloading the dishwasher really angrily and, oh my God, you didn't start dinner after my long commute. And I picked up the kids and my husband's like, if you're doing this for us, like all the things, you can just stop because nobody likes living with a martyr. And I was like, ouch, (laughs) you know, but I also was like, yeah, you're right. I'm freaking not happy. So let me stop with the like performative, I do everything and just figure out how to do less. It's crazy because I think is very broad generalization, but you'll understand where I'm coming from. Men for generations have been working and then they come home and they chill. And so our men in our modern society, like know how to do that. It's been handed down for generations that they know how to do that. Women, on the other hand, for generations have been busy throughout the day doing stuff and then never stop because their job has always been at home. And so the dishes and the cleaning and the children, but it was also spread out in a way that was manageable. And when you try to infuse things that you don't want to do or a job or several of those areas traveling like I was doing or trying to build a business, all these other things too, like you can really suffocate yourself. I read Eve Rodsky's book, Fair Play, after I wrote my book. And it's it's really kind of a deeper dive into this invisible load that women carry. And it's 
it's often very unproportionate. I read some stats recently that more women than ever before, almost 50% are breadwinners, which is phenomenal. Women are reaching higher levels in careers than ever before, which is phenomenal, but we're still carrying the majority of the household duties, which explains why burnout is such a thing right now. And I just, it was a huge part of my message of efficiency, bitch was I want you to, if you want to have, okay, like if you want to have a career, you should be able to have it and have your family and not be afraid that you're going to burn out. Um, I don't want particularly the 20 somethings of the world who are, you know, have this ambition to go to college and then have a career that they say, I can't have kids too. Like you can have both. You absolutely can. You just have to know how to get there. And I don't think our generation of women was, I mean, my mom, my mom had a career, And she had us before cell phones, which blows my mind. I don't know how she had three kids and a full-time job without a cell phone. I don't know. But she also said no to a lot of things. And she also didn't take promotions. And she'll tell me that. I didn't take promotions because I couldn't also do that. Um, And so I think we have an opportunity to to change the way it is for the next generation of women and and make the world better for, for the boys and the girls. Like, we've got sons. I want my sons to have badass careers and families too, right? I I want everybody to have all of those things. And and women need to learn how to turn down the noise in their own heads. We need to learn how to come home and put our feet up. So to well, speak. and some of that too is boundaries and imposter syndrome and people pleasing and what we've always been rewarded for, which is saying yes and doing it with a smile and never complaining. You know, what's funny is, so my mom worked too full time and I was Gen X, which is the latchkey kids who made their own like Chef Boyardee dinners and, you know, the the code on the garage to get in and saw her parents at 730 at night. And that was me. So my mom worked, but I don't know if she ever came to one of my field hockey games ever. Like I try to be it every one of my kids games, including like leaving work when I was leaving work to pick up my son to take him to a 4pm baseball practice when he was like a kindergartner and first grader and second grader, and then trying to jump back on the computer afterwards. And so that's insane. You know what I mean? Like, that's really hard to do. And is just, you know, I think the men of our generation are better. They definitely do a lot, or at least my husband does. But you're right. I know so many women, myself included, who both was the primary breadwinner. And it was unspoken that when a call came in from daycare that your kid was sick, that you were the one to leave and pick them up and you were the one to stay home the next day. Or you know, yes, you're the primary breadwinner, but you're also the one figuring out all the dentist appointments and the camp schedules and, you know, those things. The magical creatures that enter your home on Christmas and Easter and tooth fairy days. I mean, we yeah. took all of it. Yeah. Or like it's spirit week. My husband is yeah, not well, figuring my out least the favorite gift thing for the, the teacher <laughs> or crazy yep. hair day. It just doesn't happen. Yep. So tell us, I know you in your book, in terms of how women can build efficiency and stop mm-hmm. wasting time and money and also, you know, doing the right things, right? Doing the things you care about. You talk about bitches, bank inbox, 
time, connection, and harmony. Mm -hmm. Um, Talk to me about connection. What's that for you? Yeah. Connection for me is the people, the people in your life. I learned the hard way that who you are around is, is just as important in how you spend your time. I'm a big believer that you become the average of the people you spend the most time with. And it, it really changes everything. If you're with people who are drinking, you're going to drink. If you're with people who don't drink, you're probably not going to drink. Um, if you are a gossip with a certain group of people, but you're not with others, like that stuff rubs off on you. And sometimes that's a good thing. And sometimes that's a bad thing. And you just have to weigh those pieces. And so connection, I mean, the chapter is, is there's multiple units to that chapter, but I'd say the most important message there is who you're spending your time with. And, and it doesn't mean you have to not spend time with people. It just means you have to spend time with them in appropriate settings. So for example, I have a friend who's a loves wine. She's a big drinker. I'm not anymore. I like to go have lunch with her because we probably won't, there won't be any alcohol on the table at lunch, but if I had dinner with her, it would be a very different story, right? So I had to shift the way I spent time with people and the people who I love. And so that piece of it is really important. And then the other part for me is the way you connect with someone, the way you speak to them, making sure that they can hear you. So if you have something you want to talk about with your spouse or your children or your friends or your boss or whatever, you have to speak in a way that they can hear you. And if you show up defensive or you show up assuming that you're right, or you show up with a loud volume, they're not going to be able to hear you. And so those are really the two big pieces for me is the way we communicate, both our our good and our bad, and then who we spend time with Mm -hmm. are so important to figuring out the clarity that you need in order to get it all done. Yeah. I totally agree. I'm completely about, you know, you become like the five people that you spend the most time with Mm -hmm. um, and that people can either lift you up or drag you down. And I mean, it is really hard to have a positive life if you're surrounded by negative people. That doesn't mean, I mean, for so many of us, like you don't get to pick your family, right? You love them, but maybe they're hard to be around, et cetera. Or you have not yet found the people who lift you up or you don't, you know, they live across the country. Um, when I stopped drinking, um, not only was I listening to sober podcasts and I had a sober coach, but also I started listening to, you know, I used to, when I was drinking, like I used to listen to like freaking cable news in the morning, like watching the shows and it would just make me angry and anxious and all the, like immediately my, my nervous system was in fight or flight first thing in the morning. And I started listening to music in the morning. Like I don't watch any of that cable news shit anymore full stop. I get my news from reading, you know, the New York Times, NPR, you name it. Like I want it. I turned off all the news alerts on my phone. And I started listening to like Jen Sincero, who wrote all the You Are a Badass books. And that's what I listened to in my car. And it just, it shifted my mindset. I also, you know, even if you aren't around a million people who lift you up. Like I love vision boards. You can have things in front of you that inspire you, that shift the way your automatic thoughts work. So I completely agree 
And also, like, you're allowed to edit your life. And that doesn't mean ditch your mother, your sister, you know, this person. But, like, there was a toxic woman at work who used to constantly come over to, like, our area, meaning me and the people I worked with, and just bitch about what was wrong and who sucked. And she just had a negative thing to say about everyone. And I just like stopped going to lunch with her was suddenly like, oh, no, I want to go for walks during lunch. It it helps me feel happy. And when she would come over, I'd be very nice, but I'd immediately leave, you know, just like I'm going to limit the time I spend with you. Oh, my gosh. Can we talk about perimenopause, menopause, and postmenopause for a minute? I am 48, so if you are going through it, I'm right there with you. I mean, hot flashes and night sweats, racing thoughts, the low moods, the poor sleep, it is not cool. And that's why I was really excited to find a supplement called Hormone Harmony by Happy Mammoth. It contains science-backed herbal extracts called adaptogens. They help the body adapt to any stressors like those super fun hormonal changes. It helps reduce menopause symptoms head on. And if you're interested in trying it, you can use the code HELLO for 15% off your first order. Women cannot stop raving about it on social media, but the biggest benefit is the simplest, feeling like yourself again. So if you're going through this, like I'm going through this, for a limited time, you can get 15% off your first order at happymammoth.com with promo code HELLO. That's happy, M-A-M-M-O-T-H.com. And use promo code HELLO for 15% off your first order. It's so right. You are what you eat. And that includes the media you consume. It it includes what you see on social media. If you are watching someone on social media and they make you feel like shit, stop following them. It's really that easy. But it it doesn't seem that easy, right? It seems like I can't unfollow them. They're my sister. Or like... You can. You don't have to see that stuff all the time. You can. You have the ability, but you have to go out of your way to think what's making me feel bad. You talk about cable news. Like I couldn't agree more, particularly over the last several years. But I really used to love like criminal minds and CSI and like all the scary stuff. And it started to freak me out to the point that I was like, paralyzed. So I had to stop watching it. Yeah, I used to think it was so cool. And so, and maybe there'll be a time in my life where I'm ready to watch it again, but you are what you eat and what you consume on a daily basis from a media perspective is critical. I'll tell you your vision board comment. I had a vision board that I created January, 2020. So like during my sobriety three weeks, it was like, this is where I'm going. Every single one of those things on my list has been done. And what was on your vision board? I need to know. Yeah. Well, write a book start a business. And both of those things have been phenomenal. Become a professor. So I'm not a university professor, but I guest lecture at university pretty often. Uh, Public speaking, which I'm doing on a very frequent basis now. Yoga was on there. My husband was on there. I mean, we had really lost a lot of our connection. We still loved each other and we still had our life together. But you know what I mean? That like, I want to be around you kind of thing. Was He was on there. So a lot of pieces like that just to figure out how I was going to improve my life. And all of those things have been done. I I knew that I wanted to move to a house with a swimming pool and an in-ground trampoline. Now, like, 
I live in Arizona, right? So everybody and their mom has a swimming pool here. So not super weird, but this in-ground trampoline thing was something I wanted my kids to have because I wasn't allowed to have a trampoline as a kid. That was on there. I mean, I just found all these things that I, I wanted and I needed. It was my vision for myself. And every single one of those things came true. So I know that when you put positive things in front of you, Somehow your subconscious like guides you there. It's yeah. it sounds really hokey, but no, it's so I did the real podcast on vision boards and how they can help you manifest your life. I will link to it in the show notes. I also interviewed Annie Grace, who wrote this Naked Mind, so I'll link to that as well. But I truly believe that you know everybody makes these great resolutions or has these moments of inspiration. And then they fade as you go through the mundane parts of life and the responsibilities pile up. And if you put something in front of you that you're going to see two or three times a day, you start feeling like it's positive, like it's possible, it's familiar, and you will unconsciously sort of filter your choices to make that happen. Even if it's like you want to go to Italy, it might take you three years to save up the money to go to Italy. And yet, you know, all of a sudden you start talking to people about Italy and where you should go. And, and, you know, you life just, um, if you put something in the bottom of a drawer, you're never going to execute it. But if it's front and center, you know, you're more likely to do it. I mean, I put up the art for my podcast probably three years before I created my podcast. I felt absolutely ridiculous putting my picture on this, you know, thing with a name. And yet, I, you know, after a while, you're like, oh, that's not impossible. I've seen it enough mm-hmm. that that doesn't like completely freak me out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's crazy how those things can really start to take shape, you know, and I think like you talked about the toxic person in your work environment, or if you have someone and you're listening to this, and you're like, I love that person, but they're they're bringing down my average. Consider that as you increase your average, they will too. Like you're helping bring them along too by improving your own life. So, you know, I had some friends who were bringing me down in my average, but I didn't want to leave them behind. I loved them. And so I, I shifted the way I spent time with them. I, I maybe spent a little less time or I was a little bit more deliberate about a coffee or a lunch versus an evening activity. And very soon I started to see that some of their behaviors that I wanted for myself were rubbing off on them. Mm -hmm. And so you can improve the lives of your friends and your family just by improving your own. I love that. So talk to me about harmony. What do you mean by that? I mean, agreement. Um, Harmony, the definition of harmony is agreement. It means beautiful voices coming together in agreement to make a beautiful sound. It's the opposite of balance. It is everything being in the right place at the right time in the right quantity. And I tried so hard, as I mentioned earlier, to have that work-life balance. I thought it had to mean I was working so much over here. I had to work so much over here. So I was in balance. And for me, the visual never, it never worked. I could never get myself balanced. And so today I would tell you, I do things like take three days to be in the pool with my kids where next weekend I may have to work on Saturday. And so it's all about having that balance 
that it's not attainable and realizing that you can just shift it a little bit and say, okay, I might have to work a little bit extra here, but I can relax a little bit more over here, or I can have a house cleaner, but I have to think about other areas that I can pull, you know, some funds over to do. So it's just about like giving yourself that flexibility and recognizing that it can change over time. It's okay to change your mind. It's okay to modify. It's okay to stop watching scary TV right now and then maybe come back to it later. Like you can live in agreement. You can live in harmony. You can flow with life. It doesn't have to be rigid. That was, that still is something I think for me and probably most of your listeners, if they're high achievers, rigidity routine feels good for us. We like things that we can grab control of and like hold on to, but there's a time and a place for those pieces. And there's a time and a place for that fluid agreement, harmony of life. Yeah. By the way, I just want to say in terms of babysitters and house cleaners, my first month not drinking and pretty much every month thereafter, I saved $550 just not drinking in 30 days. So like you can hire a, a house cleaner every other week and probably a few more than a few hours of babysitting with 550 bucks. And by yeah, the way, hung over and you'll feel better and you'll sleep better and your skin will be better and all the other things. Yeah. And it's such a good feeling. I mean, and you fill your time with whatever you want, fill it with volunteering. Maybe Girl Scout troop leading is your thing. But if you want to start a side hustle or you want to write a book or you want to write a pod, start a podcast, like all or like read are... a magazine in a coffee shop with no one. Around. Oh my gosh. Like, totally. Yeah. Do all of those things, any of those things, let it shift over time, be flexible with those things, start your vision board. I mean, it's real and it's so possible. And it's the thing that lights me up the most is that I figured it out. I know how to make it all happen now. And I want it so badly for old me. (laughs) I want it so badly for my daughters and I want it so badly for those who are feeling really stuck. Hi there. If you're listening to this episode and have been trying to take a break from drinking, but keep starting and stopping and starting again, I want to invite you to take a look at my on-demand coaching course, the Sobriety Starter Kit. The Sobriety Starter Kit is an online self-study sober coaching course that will help you quit drinking and build a life you love without alcohol, without white knuckling it, or hating the process. The course includes the exact step-by-step coaching framework I work through with my private coaching clients, but at a much more affordable price than one-on-one coaching. And the Sobriety Starter Kit is ready, waiting, and available to support you anytime you need it. And when it fits into your schedule, you don't need to work your life around group meetings, or classes at a specific day or time. This course is not a 30-day challenge or a a one-day-at-a-time approach. Instead, it's a step-by-step formula for changing your relationship with alcohol. The course will help you turn the decision to stop drinking from your worst-case scenario to the best decision of your life. You will sleep better and have more energy. You'll look better and feel better. You'll have more patience and less anxiety. And with my approach, 
you won't feel deprived or isolated in the process. So if you're interested in learning more about all the details, please go to www.sobrietystarterkit.com. You can start at any time and I would love to see you in the course. Yeah. Yeah. So if you had some advice for someone who is currently trying to do it all, doing way too much, stressed out, burnt out, and drinking too much, Mm -hmm. which is where I was, what would be some, like, where would she start? Honestly, um, stop drinking for (laughs) a little bit. It's amazing the clarity that comes. Um, It doesn't feel good for maybe the first two or three days while your body is detoxing and you're trying to figure it all out. I mean, even if you're not an everyday drinker, it takes a little bit of time to maybe let's start with read Anna Grace's book, because that for me was a huge one. So like read this naked mind. Let's start there. Um, And if sobriety complete, complete that. Complete sobriety is not something that you're interested in. And maybe you're just interested in how to start. I'd say start with that for a minute. Just try to get some of that clarity. You're maybe take start a 30 day break, right? Yeah, There's, definitely. Just take um, a month off. See how you feel. You will get back so much time ugh, and clarity. It feels so good. Yes, it feels so good. So I'd say start with that and then maybe make a list of all the things that you're doing that don't make you feel great. You don't have to change them just yet. You just have a list of the things that, like in my case, the PTO thing or the wrong people or all the different things that you're just like, man, if I never had to do that shit again, I'd be cool. Like make that list and then figure out how you can get rid of it. Maybe it's hiring somebody. Maybe it's asking your parents or your neighbors or your spouse or your children or figure out one of those things that sucks And then tomorrow will be a little bit better. And then the next day, do it again. And then the next day, do it again. And it doesn't have to be the whole damn elephant at one time. Like one bite at a time. That's all we're looking for. And know that if you just take that one teeny tiny step today, find the five minutes today to make tomorrow 10 minutes easier, 10 minutes faster. It really happens quickly. It's like... It's like the concept of compounding interest, right? Mm -hmm. But for your happiness and your life and and your well-being. I love that. And I was smiling because I unconsciously, I I did not have a system or a vision, but did that when I started not drinking. So I actually did this a little bit before because I wasn't very happy. And I, I made a list, you know, there's like a quote that says to do this that I found. It says, make a list of things that make you happy. Make a list of things you do every day. Compare your lists and adjust accordingly. And I literally did that. I was like, okay, seeing my friends makes me happy. Going out for coffee makes me happy. Working out in the morning makes me happy. Being alone, right? When you have young kids, you're just like, I love alone. Picnics, reading novels, whatever. These things make me happy. What do I do every day? I wake up with a hangover and I watch cable news. And then I get angry and agitated and then I'm hungover and like driving my kid to school 
And then I run into work with this pit in my stomach and my boss dresses me out and I eat at my desk and I run out of there late to pick up my kid. And you know what I mean? I was like, all right, let me start adjusting. And it can be as small as listening to music in the morning and as big as not drinking, which is big and hard to do, but you can start with taking a break. And everywhere, you know, I started blocking off my calendar and going for a walk at lunch and, you know, listening to a podcast while I walked outside and and eating a snack before I left the office, like all these little things. So that was something I like literally did was make a list of things that make you happy, make a list of things you do every day, compare mm-hmm. and adjust. The other quote I had, and I had it right in my kitchen in the pantry door. So every time I opened it, I saw it. It said, create a life that feels good on the inside, not just one that looks good on the outside. That sounds like where you were too. It looked really, really good. And yet you were miserable. That's exactly right. I was so afraid of missing out on things like that FOMO was so real for me. I was like, my friends are going to go do all this stuff and, and I'm going to miss it. And I was also living in a really small town when I was like at my my super bottom. Um, and I guess that's another thing to p- point out is like, for me, it wasn't like I was riding high and then it was a crash. It was, I don't know that I was ever super high, but I certainly was in a, like a downhill trajectory for a very long time. It was like, I don't know, 10 years, maybe longer that I was like slowly rolling downhill. And I did hit that rock bottom phase eventually, but the rock bottom is different for everybody. The way it felt for me was like the death of a thousand cuts. Yes. You know, it wasn't a moment. It was like a slow slide. Like you described before I stopped drinking, I was like, I'm unhappy. My life should be wonderful. Nothing is wrong. And yet, why am I unhappy? Why do I feel trapped? Why Why am I angry? I'm not an angry person. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's so easy to just feel like, well, this is it. Like, this is what my life is. This is how it's going to be. And it it just so doesn't have to be. I don't know why people gravitate that way. I don't know why we are. Maybe it's what we're supposed to learn while we're on earth. I don't know. I mean, you can philosophize in a lot of different ways about that. But so many people, and like you, like I have a podcast, and you talk to people who have these stories, who have these stories of hitting rock bottom and rising back up. And and they're uplifting and they're exciting. And I think we gravitate towards those stories because. Well, one, once we've gone through it, we don't want to go back down again. <laughs> but then it, when you're on that downhill slide, it you need somebody to help lift you. You need somebody to show you that there's a different way. And so listening to podcasts, finding different people who have overcome those those hard parts of life, um, gone through those different seasons. And I recognize that there's a lot of rough road ahead, right? I mean, I'm 42 years old. Like my life is far from over and there's, there's certainly going to be things that get harder as my children turn into teenagers, as my parents age. I mean, I recognize all of that stuff comes through, but I also recognize that I will be able to handle them a lot better today than I could have when I was drinking. I don't know what I would have done if I hadn't quit drinking before COVID because that was oh my god. Whoa. <laughs> yeah, I know. That it's, was a whole crazy monster. I I completely agree. I did it quite a while before COVID, but mm-hmm. I know from working with so many women that COVID made drinking so much worse for all the reasons. And I think women's drinking during the pandemic 
increased by like 32%. And for women with children under five years old, it was 323%. I mean, it was insane and had real repercussions, like truly real, like the death rate year over year from alcohol usually increases by about two to 3%. And the year after COVID, it had jumped 25%. Like this shit is and it's dangerous. So anyone listening to this podcast is so far ahead of the game in questioning whether you're still drinking or not, what you're doing is super brave and important. And there are so many people sort of trapped in the drinking cycle who aren't aware of how to get out or listening to things that are that are giving them tips and tools. So I, I hope even if you're you know, waking up with a hangover and trying to stop and then not, or just curious about it, that you're proud of yourself. Oh, I so agree. It was so far ahead if you're just even thinking about it. Yeah. Well, so where can people find you? Where can they get your book, listen to your podcast, all the things? Yeah. Efficiency bitch. So uh, if you, if you look up efficiencybitch.com, you'll find me. I'm efficiency B, like just the letter B on social media, because meta didn't like the word bitch for a very long time. Efficiency bitch is where it's at. So you can find me on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, um, my website all over the place. I'd love to connect. And my podcast is all the places podcasts are found. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I feel like it was perfect that we happened to sit down next to each other. And then I happened to raise my hand yes, in whatever perfect. session it was and say what my podcast was about. So this has been awesome. Wonderful. Thank you so much for having me on. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Hello Someday podcast. If you're interested in learning more about me, the work I do, and access free resources and guides to help you build a life you love without alcohol, please visit hellosomedaycoaching.com. And I would be so grateful if you would take a few minutes to rate and review this podcast so that more women can find it and join the conversation about drinking less and living more. I'm Madeline, and I'm the host of the Happiest Sober Podcast. I got sober in my 20s after a decade of gray area drinking, and the greatest plot twist of all time was realizing that alcohol, the thing that I thought made my life the most happy and fun and exciting, was actually the exact thing preventing me from living my happiest and best life. My mom is 40 years sober, and she joins me on my podcast very often. I like to call her my part-time co-host, and I also bring you solo episodes where I share my top tips, tricks, and mindset shifts in sobriety, and lots of how how-tos for navigating all the things sober, from weddings to parties to holidays to bachelorette parties to trips. I'm also joined by so many guests who come on and share their sober stories, and they're all so, so inspiring. I'm here to show you that life doesn't end when you quit drinking. In fact, it's very much the opposite. And no matter what your relationship was with alcohol, life can be the absolute happiest when you're sober. New episodes come out every Tuesday. You can listen to Happiest Sober Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.